0: I got to admit, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. 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 I'm a little gun shy since last Sunday when I came up thinking the song was all done and Dwight kept going so deer in headlights like what do I do and I busted out some moves and so I felt like I I carried the moment, you know, as best as I could and brought some lightness to, to the congregation. All right. Get my iPad going there. I want to share with you, I want to begin this morning um, by, by sharing about a, a, a research study that I came across this week that I found fascinating, and uh, I just want to share that with you this morning. Uh, it goes like this. It says, it, I'm not sure exactly what year, I didn't write that down, but it was like several years ago. Um, It was in the, the California area, San Francisco, I believe. A school district, actually, in San Francisco. They did this fascinating experiment. Here's what they did. They chose three teachers, and they said to these three teachers... You are the best that we have in this school, and we want you to teach 90 high IQ students, and we're going to let you move at their pace, and we want to see just how much they can learn in one school year. Okay, so that that was the experiment. So, This took place and by the end of the school year, what they discovered was that those specially selected students had indeed achieved 20 to 30 percent more than the rest of the school district. So at the end of the school year, the principal called in the three teachers and said, I have a confession to make you actually didn't have 90 high IQ students. They were just run-of-the-mill students selected randomly. So these teachers, they're, they're feeling pretty good about themselves and what they accomplished with just average students, you know, for the year. And then the principal said, and I have another confession to make. You're not the best teachers that we have. Your names were just pulled out of a hat, and you were the first three that came out of the hat. And I think the moral of that story to me is this, you get what you expect, you get what you expect. Our expectations for good or for bad impact our experiences, that what we expect shapes what we ultimately experience, that, that the expectations, the beliefs, the ways of thinking that we bring into any situation or relationship, I would say, affect what we see in that situation and what we miss in that situation or in that relationship. Our expectations of what we think should happen affect what we experience in life. And I just want you to, to ponder that for a moment and keep that in the back of your mind as we read today's story from the scriptures. If you haven't been around Victory Point or if this is you know, kind of a new place for you, you're jumping in in the middle of a series, kind of at the tail end of this series. It's called Devoted to the Word of God. And uh, what, what we've centered this whole series on is this one verse in Acts. Chapter two, Acts two, verse forty two, where it says this it says they they're talking about the, the early church, the, the fellowship of believers of the early church. They devoted themselves to four things the apostles teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread into prayer. They oriented around, they centered around those four things. And, and we've decided for a season, we want to pay attention to those four things as a fellowship of believers today. And so we've chosen that first one, the Apostles' Teaching, which you know would be another way of saying the Bible, the Scriptures, the Word of God. And we are just trying to immerse ourselves into the Word of God in some very um, extra ways during this series. So one of those ways that we're doing that, is we have a church-wide reading plan, like a church-wide Bible reading plan where we're inviting everyone at Victory Point to read the same scriptures every day. It's, it's very lightweight, it's easy to do, and you can uh, grab a card from the welcome table or you can access this on our website or through our Facebook page, and uh, we're asking everybody to just orient around the apostles' teaching, and, and our Sunday teachings are coming out of what we've read during the week. You know, and we'll move on to those other three things as time goes on. Like next week, we'll, we'll begin to kind of orient around and center around the, the prayer. You know, to be devoted to prayer. Did it get darker in here? Like, everybody all right? We're good? We got phone lights if we need them. So, uh, so, so Friday, if you're following the reading plan, on Friday, uh, just a couple days ago, we read this awesome story in Second Kings. Second Kings chapter 5, we read the story of Naaman, and if you've never read the story of Naaman, I hope you read it, or I hope, you know, you get excited about it this morning, because I'm convinced this should be one of the classic Old Testament stories. I mean, you've got David and Goliath, you've got Noah and the ark, and you've got, you know, Daniel and the lion's den. I think Naaman should be one of those go-to stories in the Old Testament. It's such a rich story, it's such a beautiful story, and, um, so I'm excited to, to preach on this story today. I'm going to keep it very simple. I think there's just a simple message there. Um, and, uh, but, but here's what I want to kind of invite you to ponder as we get ready to read the scriptures this morning. God wants to speak to you. Here we are to worship and to receive from our God. God wants to speak to you. Whether Victory Point has been your church family for 25 years or maybe you're just here for the first time. Maybe you're here this morning and life is really good. And maybe you're here this morning and life's not really that good. It looks good from the outside, but it's not really that good on the inside. Maybe you're here this morning. I know this is true of people in our church family right now. You've experienced loss this week. You know, the, the, the loss of a, of a father or of a sister or of an aunt, you know, of an uncle. I mean, like, you're here with a heavy heart. Whatever... Whatever the condition of your life, maybe you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, here's what I know is true, God has a word for you this morning. Doesn't matter where you fall in the spectrum, God loves you and he wants to speak to you this morning. So I invite you to to believe that and, and to listen with anticipation that the God of the universe knows you and wants to speak to you this morning. Okay? So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 5. And as you go there, uh, we're going to do what we've been practicing during this entire series devoted to the Word of God. We have a, a Bible litany that we use, that we say together, just to remind us of what's true about these words we are about to read so if you have a Bible, just kind of raise that up. If you, if you kind of follow along on a Bible app or device, just kind of raise that along. Or just kind of raise your hand and say these words with me. This is my Bible. It is the Word of God. It is the sword of the Spirit. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Devil... I'm armed and should be considered dangerous. All right. Now, pay attention. I'm going to read the first 15 verses of uh, 2 Kings 5. And then I'm going to ask you a question. And I'll give you the question ahead of time. What gets your attention in this story? I want you to pay attention to anything that gets your attention in this story. By that, I mean, like, what do you like in this story? Or maybe what don't you like in this story? Or maybe what don't you understand in this story? I want you to just pay attention to what gets your attention in this story. All right, here we go. The story of Naaman, Second Kings 5. And Pete, you can advance these. I'm going to read along in my Bible. It says, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now, bands of raiders, oh, I lost my spot. Bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. Oops, windy in here. The king of Aram replied, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver 6,000 shekels of gold And 10 sets of clothing The letter that he took to the king of Israel read With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you So that you may cure him of his leprosy As soon as the king of Israel read the letter He tore his robes and he said Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me To be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me When Elisha the man of God heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes. He sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and he will know. Pay attention to that phrase. He will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots and he stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh Will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry. He said, I thought, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Arna Abana in Fair of Par, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I just wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and he went off in a rage. Naaman's servant went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something, some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said this, Now I know. Now I know. That there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. Take a second and just turn to somebody next to you, if if you have someone nearby, and just share like what in that story gets your attention. What do you like? What didn't you like? What confuses you? Just quick quick capture that. S- share it out loud with somebody next to you. Go. All right, everybody have something? Here's what I encourage you with. Whatever gets your attention, pay attention to that. Because that's probably an area that God wants to speak to you on this morning. So let him. Pay attention to that. So let's just kind of break it down a little bit. A word about Naaman. He was an Araminian, He was commander of the armies of Ben-Hadid II, the king of Aram-Damascus. Naaman basically was the commander... Of the armies of Syria. And the Bible says that through him. The Lord. Did you catch that? The Lord had given victory to Syria. Had delivered Israel into Syria's hands. Naaman we know this. He was a mighty man. He was a mighty man of valor. He was an impressive man. Naaman. Let's just say it. He was a big deal. He was a big deal in his day. But. And this is a huge but. Naaman had leprosy. Now, just a word about leprosy. I mean, leprosy was a term used for generally to describe any skin condition or disease. You know, we always assume the worst, but but leprosy was a was a generic word used during those days to describe any sort of skin disease. But leprosy, full-blown was the most feared disease in the world in that day. It began as a small, sort of white, powdery pat, you know, patch of skin, sort of like a rash that would soon spread all over your body. And when, wherever it spread, all the nerve endings would begin to die. And your skin, you, you know, boils would break out over your body and it would leave these gaping holes of raw flesh. And eventually, body parts would begin to fall apart and your facial, you know, kind of structure would, would sort of uh, lose shape. And, and there was, it was a bad disease and there was no cure. It was a bad disease, there was no cure. It had 100% death rate. You know, back in that day, it was associated with possibly a curse from the gods. It was thought to be highly contagious. Once, you were kind of, once it was discovered you had leprosy, you were often forced into exile. You were banished from community. You no longer had community around you. And, and, and you could live in that condition for years and years and years. We're told that Naaman, in the scriptures, he has a spot. He has a spot of leprosy. How bad was it? We don't really know yet in this story, but we know he had a spot of leprosy. Who knew? We're not sure. It's obvious that his wife knew, and it's obvious that his wife's servant girl knew. You know, we we don't know. We could probably guess that Naaman probably tried his best to keep it hidden, you know, to keep it covered, to keep his armor on, and to keep, you know, his clothing, you know, hiding the spot. Now, but, but we know his wife knew, and we knew his, his wife's servant girl knew. Now, let's just talk real quick about this, this slave girl that gets mentioned in verses 2 and 3. She, she'd been captured... She'd, she'd been taken, you know, kind of slave, kidnapped, if you will. The Syrian army, maybe even Naaman himself, went into Israel and they captured this girl and they brought her back to her land. We don't know anything about like, her situation, possibly, and maybe even probably her, her parents have been killed in the raid, um, but she's been dragged off into slavery. Now, just ponder this. Think about this. How would you respond if you're this girl, let's say she's like 14 years old and, and she gets, you know, yeah, she, she gets um, brought back into slavery and she finds out that her master who's responsible for her slavery has leprosy. How would you respond if your enemy has leprosy? I mean, wouldn't our default you know, response probably be like, ha. The old goat has a terminal disease. Good for him. He deserves that, right? That he's he getting what's coming to him. You know? but, but I love this girl's posture. I mean, that's not her at all. I mean, she's like, man, if only. If only my master would go see the prophet in Samaria. He would be. I mean, there's this assurance. He, he would be healed. The prophet would cure him. She seems to genuinely care about Naaman. It's almost like she has this posture, I'm just going to let God be the judge of this situation and I'm just going to be compassionate. And and it reminds me sort of like, remember in Monday's reading, if you're following along in the Bible reading plan, in Jeremiah 29, you know, we always think of Jeremiah 29, uh, 11, but, but Jeremiah 29, 7, you know, Jeremiah has this word to the people of Israel who's been brought into captivity, you know, in Babylon And they're going to be there a while. And and Jeremiah reminds them, Hey, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. There's this, this sense like, man, wherever you are, seek the good of the people around you. This slave girl is embodying that posture. She's seeking the good of her master, Naaman. To me, as I thought about this, this girl, this, this unnamed, you know, teenage girl, slave, she's like an Old Testament picture of Jesus. She's like Jesus in the story because here she is, this suffering servant, and through her, salvation comes to Naaman. He gets cured through this through the, the suffering servant. That, that's the Jesus picture in this story. What, what a great Jesus picture in the Old Testament. Now, Back to Naaman, we're, we're, we have no idea, like, what has he done up to this point to deal with his leprosy? What has he done to try to cure his disease? You know, I, I wonder, you know, I'm guessing he probably went through what we would, like these, this, these stages of, of grief, and of emotions, and of anger, and denial. Um, perhaps he, he went out and tried every treatment available, you know, at his disposal, we don't know what he did, but it's obvious he's at this point where he's willing to try anything. He's even willing to listen to the advice of his wife's serving girl. He's obviously at the end of his rope. And we have, here we have this mighty warrior, this high-ranking military leader taking medical advice from this unnamed teenage servant girl in his household. And based on her recommendation, and with the full support of his king, with a letter of recommendation, Naaman sets out to cross the Jordan River to go find this prophet that she speaks of. And not only does he take this letter of recommendation from his king, he takes an enormous amount of cash with him. Like the, the, the equivalence of, of what's written in the scriptures in this story, basically he's taken 750 pounds of silver with him. He's taken 150 pounds of gold with him and 10 sets of clothing, which was a big deal in that day, as if he can somehow purchase healing. So It's almost like this game of telephone is taking place in this story, isn't it? I mean, it starts with Naaman, he has leprosy, okay? And then the slave girl tells her mistress, who tells Naaman, who tells his king, who writes a letter to the king of Israel, you know, like, heal this guy, so Naaman shows up to the king of Israel with this letter. Hey, heal. This, is my, this is my servant Naaman. He's a great man. He has leprosy. Heal him. And the king of Israel gets all upset. Like he tears his robes. Like who is this fellow? I'm not God. I can't do this. And Elisha somehow hears about what's going on over in the king's palace. The king has tore his robes. And Elisha sends a messenger to the king of Israel like, hey, just send him my way. Tell Naaman to come to my house, okay? So, so that's what the king of Israel does. He, he sends Naaman to Elisha's house. So just, just picture this. Here's Naaman with his, his entourage. You know, he's got his chariots, his 750 pounds of silver, his 150 pounds of gold, his 10 sets of clothing. Today, that would be like, the, imagine this convoy of black suburbans and helicopters kind of rolling up, you know, to your driveway, That's kind of probably what it felt like to Elisha, you know. Um, And Elisha, did you catch this part of the story? I think it's significant. Elisha doesn't even come out of the house. He's got like all these suburbans and helicopters landing in his front yard, kind of peeks out the window. He doesn't even leave his house. He sends his servant out. He sends his servant out, his messenger out. How would you like to be that guy? That has to be the messenger from Elisha to Naaman. He kind of goes out like, "Uh, Mr. Naaman, um, the doctor's busy, but he sent me out this prescription to give to you. Uh, Just go down to the River Jordan over there and uh, just wash yourself and you'll be clean. Oh, seven times. Make sure you do it seven times. That's important. Just go to the river, wash yourself seven times and you will be clean. And did you catch Naaman's reaction to this incredible good news? that he's going to be healed of leprosy. How does he react? He's PO'd. He's furious. He's upset. He's like, that's it? That's that's it? You're not going to come out here and and see me? You're not going to come out here and kind of wave your hand over this spot of leprosy? The Jordan, I've seen the Jordan River. I mean, I've seen the Jordan River. It's not an impressive river. It, it's like a creek, kind of, and it's dirty and it's brown. Like, seriously, the Jordan, we got way better rivers where I come from. I'm just, I'm going back home. I'm out of here. Again, I love it in this story. They keep making a difference. Praise God for the servants. Praise God for the no name servants in this story. Praise God for Naaman's servants, who's like, come on, man father he calls him father he has this kind of like relationship like come on if if the prophet had told you to go do something great like to sneak into this cave up the mountain and cut the toenails off a dragon or something like that you know something really epic like you would do that because like you would think oh yeah that's how I'm going to be saved like you would do that so why not when he says something really simple and ordinary like go wash yourself why wouldn't you do that? You've got this idea, Naaman, of how this is supposed to go. How's that working for you? Why don't you try this other way of how it could go? So, so God bless Naaman. Naaman, he, he repents of his way of thinking. He gives it a go. He gives it a shot. He goes to the Jordan River. And he submerges himself in the Jordan River. Once, twice, three times, four times, Five times, six times. I mean, imagine if he just stopped, but he follows through in what he was told seven times, and he comes up, and the leprosy's gone, and, and not just gone, his skin is as smooth as a baby. Like it's, it's been restored, you know, to like, like a baby's skin. And then we get to verse 15. What does Naaman do in response? Naaman and all his attendants, they go back to the man of God and they stand before Elisha. And he says, now I know. Now I know there is no other God in all the world except the God of Israel. Now I know. Remember, Naaman up to this point had never laid eyes on Elisha. He'd never met Elisha. He just interacted with Elisha's servant. I mean, what would you say to the man who's responsible for you being healed from a life-threatening terminal disease? I mean, you'd probably say like, oh man, thank you. And, you know, look, it's all gone. But Naaman, I love his response. He, he forgoes all that and gets to the bigger picture. Now I know. There's no other God except the God of Israel. I mean, Naaman went looking for a cure But in the end, he found God. And perhaps that is what Naaman was truly healed of in this story. That that he was healed of his own thinking of what he thought would heal him. The true discovery wasn't the cure. The true discovery was the God who cures. And Naaman almost missed it. Naaman almost missed it. Naaman almost missed this discovery. Now I know there's a God in Israel. He almost missed it. Why? Well, back to the very beginning, you know, when I shared about that, that experiment in San Francisco, because of his expectations, he almost missed it because of his expectations. He had false assumptions and wrong expectations of how he thought God is supposed to work. He was so focused on how he thought God was supposed to work, he almost missed what God was up to. Remember what he said? Remember what he said? He said this. When, when Elisha sent the messenger out and said, go wash yourself seven times into Jordan, Naaman went away angry. And I, I emphasize this. Why? Because he said, man, I thought. I, I thought he was going like to come out and, and call on his God and wave his hands. Naaman thought. And thinking gets us into trouble sometimes doesn't it? I mean, false thinking gets us into trouble sometimes. I I can think of all the times when I, I mean, think about relationships that you have in your life when you experience tension, you know, if you do. I, I, I sometimes do, but when you have arguments and things like that, like maybe with your spouse, like isn't it usually always because you have two different sets of expectations for something? You have two different expectations of, of how you know, to spend money or, or how like, having people over is supposed to go or how a date night is supposed to go and end and all this stuff. You have two different expectations of things. And, and when, when you have false expectations, it, it creates problems. Naaman had false expectations of how, God, how he thought God was supposed to work. And this story has gotten me thinking. Naaman almost missed out on how God wanted to work in his life because of his expectations, because of how he thought God should work and how God was at work were two different things. And in those moments when we think God should work this way and God's up to something this way, we always have a choice to make. We either adjust our lives and expectations to God's or we get in our chariot and and we leave and we ride away. And we have no idea what we're missing when we do that. I wonder how many times I've missed out on something God was up to. I mean, think about that. How many times have we possibly missed out on something God wanted to do in our lives or somebody else's lives because what God was asking us to do didn't match up with how we expected God to work? Or maybe like this. We think what God is asking is way too ordinary to make a difference or way too simple. You know, I was thinking about that this week and um, I just want to show one little video to close. It's only like a minute and a half. But I've told you the story before about my friend Logan, a young man that I met years ago uh, just out in the parking lot here and, and how we developed a friendship in a, in, a, in a relationship. And I even mentioned this, but I don't know if you've, you've heard like the rest of his story. Um, You know, a few months ago, back in April actually, on Easter, um, I had the privilege of baptizing Logan. I think we got a picture of that uh, right there. Logan and his girlfriend, they go to Moran Park and they're plugged in over there and he was getting baptized that day, but he really wanted me to do his baptism. So as soon as we were done here with our Easter service, I took off over from Moran Park and I had the privilege of baptizing Logan. And during their service that morning, um, each person who's getting baptized got to share their testimony, and they usually have everyone write out their testimony, and then someone reads it. It's like a, you'll see it in just saying it's like someone with a really good like, voice, like a, like a WW wrestler kind of voice. Of, you know. So, so you're gonna, I'm going to just show you, it's like a minute and a half, Logan's testimony, then I want to make a point, and then we're going to sing and, and be out of here. But let's, uh, can we watch that video, Pete? This is Yeah, I, why do I share that? Um, first of all, just so we're all on the same page, I am not the source of Logan's transformation. I'm not the source of Logan's, you know, breakthrough or healing. Just like the king wasn't in this story, just like Elisha wasn't in Naaman's story, just like the river wasn't, God is always the source of transformation and healing and breakthrough. But I remember that day years ago when I pulled into the parking lot and I really had this sense like, God was asking me to go drive over and, and talk to the person in that car. And I had this moment, I, I kid you not, I had this moment where, like, like that's it? That, I mean, like, I don't, feel, I don't have time for that, God. I got stuff to do. I got important things going on. Like, um, I'm sure that person's just, you know, taking a break from their life. Um, it just seemed, like, too simple, too ordinary. Um, but now, like, I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad I did. And I bet Naaman is really glad that he he did the simple and the ordinary and just went down to the Jordan River and dunked himself in it seven times. I I just, I wonder, and this is how this story speaks to me this morning. I wonder if the reason we don't see more miracles and breakthrough and transformation, I, I don't think it's because we're not willing to do the difficult things or the great things. I wonder sometime if it's just simply because we're unwilling to do the simple things. Are we maybe too unwilling to do the, the simple things? Maybe we're waiting for God to do a big thing and He's just asking us to do the next thing. He's just asking us to do the next right thing. We, we somehow get confused thinking that everything God's asking us to do is an exceptionally big thing when all He's asking us to do is just be exceptional at the ordinary things. Things like love your neighbor as yourself, forgive Seek justice, love mercy. All the simple things. What if we just became exceptional at doing those things? Imagine like, the, the breakthrough and the miracles and the transformations God might have in store because he's just waiting for us to do the simple thing. So here's, here's just some things to think about. Maybe you could do some of your little music thing like you know, as, as we do this. And then we're going to sing. But as, as we think about this story this morning... Who are you in this story? Where are you in this story? Maybe you're Naaman. Maybe you're Naaman. In in there's something going on in your life. You've noticed a spot. Maybe it's a relationship. You know. Maybe it's actually physical. Maybe it's uh, this uh, a battle in your life, and you're trying really hard to hide it. You're, you're, you're keeping your armor over it and your clothing over it and you're not, you know, you're not showing it to anybody. I love, when, when, when you think about it, I, I love what it took for Naaman to ultimately be healed. Not only did he have to obey, but he had to go down to the river. He had to drop his silver and his gold and realize they're not the answer. He had to take off his armor and take off his, his clothing, revealing his spots revealing what was wrong with them and just come before God authentically and to let others see him the way God sees him it's only then that he that he started to discover healing and transformation maybe God's inviting you to step into the river today just like you are and to be real about who you are with him and with others and to receive what he has for you today Maybe you're like that suffering slave girl. You're in a spot in life right now where it's just hard. And it's not even of your own choice, but it's just the reality you're in. What would it look like to seek the good of the people around you? Even if they're the ones that are causing some of the the battle in your life. What would it, what would it look like to, to want good for them? To forgive them? Or maybe, you know, what about uh, Naaman's servant? Maybe God's asking you to help point somebody, you know, to the answer. You know, maybe somebody's trying, you know, their own way to fix something. Or, and, and maybe you can be like Naaman's servant and, and just be the person that says, how's that working for you? What if you just did what God said? You know, I, I don't know like who you are in this story or where you are in this story. But I I know we're all in this story somewhere. And I just invite you to receive whatever it was that got your attention in that story to connect some dots right now to what is God saying to you about that? Why did this thing or that thing get your attention? And what is God wanting to say to you? I know what he's saying for me is don't dismiss the small things and the simple things. Because those are often the things that lead to the greater things. Maybe it's start there. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for good stories. Thank you that good stories have lots of layers to them. And Lord, while, you know, I can stand up here and say this is is how this story is speaking to me, I'm asking your Holy Spirit to say to each one of us here what the story is speaking to them. It might not be what I'm saying, it might be something different. But whatever it is, if it's from you, it's good. And it's worth obeying and applying to our lives because it might be the very thing that leads to transformation and to victory and to break through. So Lord, thank you for the story of Naaman this morning. And thank you for the story of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Why not we stand? Let's sing one more song.